Good evening, folks. We're glad you're here for our elder commissioning service. Um, I first want to say thank you to, uh, to you as deacons and church leaders, uh, staff, elder candidates, for working with us in the process of transitioning from, uh, from uh, the polity that we did have to uh, affirming our bylaws for 2023 and for moving to a plurality of elders at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. I do want to let you know that we are going to be recording this service, and so it will be available for us to uh, to kind of share in social media formats, but also on our podcast. Um, I, I want to let you know what we're going to do tonight. Uh, we're going to give a charge to the church. Pastor Tad is going to speak to us about the process of elders and what that means for us as a congregation. Uh, Eddie Billings is going to sing a special uh after Tad has completed with his time, then I'm going to give a charge specifically to the elder candidates, uh, Steve Melton, Marsh Lyle, and Vince Adams. Um, and then we're going to ask those three candidates to come to the platform, and all of you who are ordained men in the life of the church, pastors and or deacons, all ordained men are going to gather behind them, and we're going to pray over them. I've asked uh, that we do some public prayers, uh, Al Andrews, uh, who has served as pastor here for 33 years and is now our pastor emeritus. He's going to begin us in a time of prayer over these elder candidates. Then Tad will pray, and I'll close us in a word of prayer. Um, thank you to you as a congregation for your support of us, for your prayers and your encouragement. And uh, I'll share a little bit more in a moment. But Tad, you come, you give the charge to the church, and uh, we'll listen with open ears. Let's begin with a word of prayer, if you don't mind. Father, thank you for this opportunity to come and um, be a part of something new, a new chapter in the life of Wilkesboro Baptist Church and the many blessings you've given to this church and, and just continue to bless us. And we are thankful for all of that opportunity and we come tonight just uh, celebrating this new, uh, this new chapter, this new thing that you have put on our hearts, that you have uh, put in your will, that you designed it for this to happen so that we continue to grow. We can continue to be your church, continue to show the gospel to those around us. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, this evening I'm going to come from the book of 1 Peter. So if you have your Bible with it, just come, turn with it real quick. Um, it's, it's an interesting book. If you've ever went through the book of Peter, and I hope you have because a couple of years ago, maybe last year, I think Chris preached on it. So you are somewhat familiar with it. And he went over this passage, but I wanted to kind of look at it in a little, little deeper meaning for tonight. Uh, this is something new for us. It's a, uh, we've never had elders here at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. I've never served as an elder or been a part of a church that has elders. Uh, which is something interesting. In, in seminary and in my undergrad studies, we did study it. We would study how church polity worked and how what the Bible said about it. And elders was something that always came up. It came up with some great discussion about what it meant. Uh, does elder mean just the older men of the church? You know, we think of that. I know growing up in the South, that's kind of what we, we came up with, respect your elders, but when we come about church and what the Bible's talking about, throughout the whole Bible, we hear this, this elder model. 
Going back to the community, the elders were where you went to if you had a problem. They were the ones you discussed it with. When there was disputes among family, they would go to the elders. These were the men of upstanding. They had respect. And so when we get to the New Testament and the church is being established, they had a blank slate. They had no clue what they were doing. And so they went about talking about an elders, a group of men leading based on what Jesus taught them. And that's what we get to 1 Peter. Now, Peter was an apostle of Jesus. He was one of the three that went up and saw Jesus transform into Moses and Elijah on that mountain. He was one of the closest friends of Jesus. He experienced more with Jesus than any of the other disciples. He also denied Jesus. He also was confronted by Jesus. He also had to seek humility because Peter was someone that liked to talk first, think second. And it's amazing that, and that's what he picks up this, where he starts by saying, I'm talking to all the elders, to the church. See, the book of 1 Peter, it's unlike any other letter where Paul's letters are written specifically to a community, to the community of Philippians, to Philippi, to the community of, uh, of Colossians, to the community of Corinth. But with Peter, he starts off with 1 Peter talking about all of the believers that have been dispersed. All of the Jewish Christians that have been gone and been, been persecuted and they're not displaced. So they don't really have a community and they've had to go out to a new place and start church. So he spends the whole book talking about what it's like to be a believer in Jesus and to start a community of what we would call a church. And we get to 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Therefore, I exalt the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not voluntary according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over there, those allotted to your charge by proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, conform, strength, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So if we just look at this passage real quick, we see a design of church leadership. He's talking to the church leaders, the elders. He's also talking to the congregation. So he starts with the first four verses, and he talks of kind of what an elder is. And I know Pastor Chris is going to go into more detail about this. But if you see, he gives us three things as elders we are to do. We are to willingly care for God's flock. 
care. That is our first priority. And I can tell you, sitting among these men and talking to them and hearing their story, I am awed and all but humbled on who they are and how they care for this church. I've only had a small glimpse of what people have done and the vision that these men have had. I've had 14 years of experience here, almost 15, but I can tell you in that 15 years, almost 15 years, the one thing that kept coming back to me with the men that I'm able to serve with is we care about this church. They have, I have heard stories of crying over the anguish and the pain that has come about you because this church has gone through some things. I have been able to have conversations with them and be able to talk about them and work through crisis, working through moments of conflict, working through sadness. And it was when we were all talking in every one of their, their interviews, they talked about how much they love you. They love this church. They are willing to do anything for this church. And, and one of the things they kept saying is, I feel like this is what God is calling me to do to this church. It's not something I necessarily want to do, but I feel called to do. Because they feel drawn to willingly care for God's flock. To help shepherd and lead them on to green pastures, as the, the Psalm 23 says. They also care about this community. They willingly serve this community. All five of us have been a part of the community and serving. And I want you as the church to understand that that. We care about you, we care about the community, and we want to do what's best. The second thing that Peter tells us that we should do is that we should be a servant's leader. He tells us to serve the church not for selfish gain. We are not up here to be about power. We are not up here to put our own agenda. In fact, all five of us don't have an agenda, really, but what God has called us to do. Sometimes I don't always get my way. In fact, I've been working with teenagers for 15 years or for 25 years. I don't think I've ever gotten my way. But it's not about what we want. It's about what we feel is best for the church. And we want to be servant leaders. We want to serve first, lead second. And through our leadership, through our service, that's where the leadership would come. The third thing he tells us is to lead by example to lead by, be examples of the flock. And we are going to hopefully do that. An elder is to be above reproach, to kind of guide you and to make sure you are willing to follow us. But then he turns, Peter turns, to what we need to do as the church. Because he says in verse 4, this is where it shifts in this passage. He says, and when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, the one that's over all the churches, the one that holds all the stars, the one that's in Revelation talking to the churches and bring glory to God, and the one that's going to break the seals, the one that ushers in the glory of God, the chief shepherd, when he appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And that you right there is not us as elders. We are not getting the crown. It's the church. It's the community. Because the ultimate goal is for us to be glorifying God 
to make him proud so that when he comes back, he says, my good and faithful servant. That's our main job, and that's what Peter is telling, giving us to do, and that's when he says, when the chief shepherd comes, when Jesus comes back, we will get to experience glory with him because we served with him. So the way we do that, second part of verse 5, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Humility is something that's really hard to grasp. We take it, the, the word has kind of, the culture has kind of transformed it to be in a negative sense. If you're humble, then you're not hustling. If you're humble, you're not telling people how good you're doing because we live in a dog-eat-dog world and we've got to show people how great we are. Because if you don't show how pe people how great you are, nobody will see how great you are. And Peter tells you the exact opposite. He says to humble yourself. Rick Warren, he, he says it this way. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is thinking of others more. And I kind of like that because that's really what humility is. And Paul's, ver Paul's letter to Philippians, he says that Jesus humbled himself and became lower than us so that he can serve us, so that he can give us he can show us the way to glory. He thought about us before he thought about himself. He gave up his life for us so that we could experience the glory of God. Humility's hard. Humility takes a lot, and it takes grace to be humble. But you can only experience grace when you humble, right? Because we are all broken. We have all fallen short of what God had intended. God's designed us. We fell short and we are broken people and we search for ways to fix our brokenness in many different directions, in the wrong directions. But it's only through Jesus that we can be complete. And he reminds us of that. He reminds us to be humble. That's why he says, clothe yourselves with humility. The illustration there is just like every morning when you get up and get out of bed and you put on your pants, you put on your shirt, you put on your shoes to go outside, you are to do that every day. You have to tell yourself, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to actually, just like you put on your shoes to go walking outside, you need to put on the clothing of humility and say, I'm going to be humble. Because see, the goal of us is to care for you. So humble yourselves that he may exalt you in the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And we all live in an anxious time. We all have struggles. Us as elders, our job is to help you through that. Like I tell teenagers, like I tell people in trouble, I can only help you if I know about it. We can only help you through your struggles, if we know about it. We can only help you if we work together as a team. Pastor Chris has had more on his plate over the last couple of years because of all of the, the anxieties that's happening. I've had multiple teenagers come to me. It's more and more teenagers are coming, talking about the anxieties of the world. Your neighbors, your friends, everybody seems to be anxious. 
and as a church. And, and what we've been doing is where most people, and you come and you talk to Pastor Chris, and we appreciate that, but that's a lot on him. That's very heavy. If you've ever held a secret, if you've ever held somebody's struggles and you're wanting to help them so much, it weighs on you, right? It weighs on you so much. And a lot of times you can't tell anybody because you feel just pulled in and you want to help them, but you don't want to break confidentiality. And we, that is a great guy. But what you're doing tonight, church, is you're saying we understand the weight of shepherding and we want to divvy up the weight among five people instead of one or two. That's what we're here for. Just before we came out here, the five of us gathered in Chris's office and we were talking, we talked a little logistic stuff, kind of when we're going to meet, but then we prayed. And one of the things we talked about before walking out into this moment is how we, if we spend two hours praying in a meeting, that is perfectly okay. Every one of the elders, now Chris and I have had the luxury of we've been able to see new faces and we've been able to talk to people, so we've been able to put names and faces, we're not all there we miss people. I apologize, but y'all have helped us. But every one of the elders have looked at me and said, I need pictures. I want pictures and names. I want to know the congregation. I want to know how we can help them. I want to, when I see their face, I want to know their name because they care. And I'm telling you, church, we're here to help you. Cast your anxieties upon Jesus and we will pray with you. You cannot do it alone. Jesus can help you, but so can his community and the community leaders. So don't, so humble yourselves by being able to come forward and saying, I need help. I'm struggling with this. And be okay with the fact that maybe it's more than what Chris can handle. And he may have to share some of those things, not the details, but maybe the overall so that we can pray together because we are a team. We're not looking to do anything malicious. We're wanting to care and shepherd the flock because we want you to cast your anxieties on Jesus and we want to help you by casting your anxieties on that. The next thing we've got to do is we've got to be alert. We've got to be aware of what is going to happen. Verse 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The church has been growing fantastic. Just some conservative numbers for you. In the last year, I think we've gained about 110 people conservatively. We've baptized 40. The church is growing. But do you know what that means? We're now a target. Because the adversary, Satan himself, his the, the demonic forces, the the spiritual warfare that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, that's going to come upon us. That means, and it's going to come in little bitty moments where people are going to try to cause division. So church, don't let that happen. Be alert. When you start seeing that tug of pride because pride says it's about me and not about others, when you don't like something, because you're not going to like everything we do. I've been a part of a community long enough to know that. If you don't, Talk to us. Don't allow that evil spiritual force to divide this congregation. Because we want to stay healthy. We want to continue to grow. But you have to be alert and ready to see it. And then finally, 
we are not alone. Peter Lee ends with a blessing, with a benediction. Verse 10, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, conform, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. And the beautiful thing about that doxology, just like when we come in here and we sing the doxology that we know, praise God from whom all blessings flow. We know, we say that because it's unifying the church because the church has been singing that doxology for years. That's what he's doing here. He's reminding these scattered people that you're not alone. He's actually singing a song at the end. It's one of those moments where just like this morning, familiar Christmas carols. We sing those around because we know every Christian is singing them at this time. And it gives us that sense of joy to know that we're not alone. So I hope that as we continue going into this journey, we will listen closely. We will stay alert. We will remember that we're part of a bigger community, a community that's glorifying God and looking at spreading the good news that Jesus came to die for all of our sins. And through his resurrection, we can have hope, even in the circumstances that may come upon us. Listen as Eddie sings this, this song.
Tad, for those uh, wonderful words from First Peter chapter five. Several months ago, a little over a year and a half ago, I guess it was, I had some initial conversations with Tad and with uh, with Randy Whittington and some others about what it would look like if Wilkesboro Baptist Church moved to a polity of elders. Being praying about that, I may have shared this with you. If I haven't, this is uh, this is something important. For this gathering of people to hear, I looked at my wife and I told her that I, I thought that God wanted us to move at Wilkesboro Baptist Church to a plurality of elders. And she looked at me, and her eyes got about as big as saucers, and she said, why in the world would you want to do that? Everything's going so smoothly. And, and I had to step back for a second. Usually, she's always supportive. I mean, she always thinks I'm right. We never argue. No, only, only jest, only jest. Uh, no, when, when she gives a pause, then it's a good reason for me to pause and say, okay, what, what, what is this? And so it really forced me to take some time, and I, I believe that the Scripture teaches that a church should be led by a plurality of pastors, plurality of elders. And so I really spent some time making her my first convert in that, in that idea and in that shift. So we've had those conversations over the last several months and years. And as we began bringing that back to you as a congregation, you listened, you heard, uh, you heard my heart. We worked through the book of 1 Timothy, and you helped us in terms of nominations. And then Al and Tad and myself spent time in evaluations and interviews with Marsh and with Steve and with Vince. And then you as a congregation affirmed them overwhelmingly to serve as our first elders at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. Some of you have asked them and asked us, well, what are you as elders going to do? 
That's a little hard for us to say specifically because we haven't really met and begun working through the processes of what that looks like from meeting to meeting. I will tell you this, our bylaws say this, and at the very least, here's what you can expect from us as elders. We're going to shepherd the flock of God. We're going to be an example to you as a congregation. We're going to teach and exhort, and we're going to equip our congregation to be faithful to Scripture and what God expects. We're going to refute those who contradict the truth. So if there's an issue of discord or, or some type of heretical belief that you know, spout, find, find its way in our church, we're going to refute that false doctrine. We're going to hold one another mutually accountable. They're going to hold me accountable. I'm going to hold them accountable. We're going to pray for the sick. So let me just say this to you as a congregation member. You get a diagnosis. You want somebody to pray for you. The Bible tells us specifically as elders, we can anoint someone with oil and pray over them. And that's part of our responsibility as a body of elders. Those are things that we're going to do. We're going to manage the church and the role as overseers. And we're going to embrace and embody the mission of Wilkesboro Baptist Church. That's, that's who we're going to be. That's what we're going to do. And how we pull that off, we're going to sit down and we're going to meet and we're going to decide how best to accomplish that in the life of Wilkesboro Baptist Church. Uh, you've prayed over these men. I have too. And thank you for affirming them. Continue to do so. Um, and let me speak to them specifically for the next few minutes. This is a charge specifically to you as elders. In the book of 1 Timothy, there's this line that has stuck with me for months since we worked through 1 Timothy. And it is from verse chapter 4, verse 16. It says, pay attention to yourself and to the doctrine. Pay attention to who you are and your character and conduct. Pay attention to what we teach and preach. Um, whether you're in a teaching role or whether I'm in a teaching role and you're listening, pay attention because we want to make sure that solidly we're faithful in what we believe and then we're faithful in how we behave. <clears throat> Aaron Minikoff put it this way. He says that we know churches need good doctrine. Piety is worthless without deep abiding in orthodox teaching. Churches will only be as strong as their doctrine is sound. And that's why Paul told Timothy to raise up teachers of the faith. That's why Jude appealed to believers to contend for the faith. Without sound doctrine, churches are like sailboats without a sail. They're sure to one day crash along the rocks of unbelief. Good church doctrine and good church structure are simply non-negotiable. We need them if our churches are going to be healthy. But let's never forget, healthy churches need healthy pastors. They need men who don't just teach about the fruit of the Spirit, but men who abound in the fruit of the Spirit. And God's called us not just to make sure that we believe the right things, but that we embrace the very character and conduct of our Lord and Savior when we declare this is what we believe and this is who we are. Let me give you four specific ways that I think the, Paul tells Timothy that we're to be above reproach, that we're to pay attention to ourselves and what that looks like. The first one is this, when we pay attention to ourselves, it's so that we're above reproach. The office of overseers described in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it is uh, an office that's described as being an elder. The words are interchangeable. Overseer, elder, and pastor are interchangeable terms. And the very first expectation for those who lead the congregation in the role of overseers to be above reproach. It means that no one should be able to point out an area in our lives where we are in 
rebellion against what God says in his word. He's not telling us we have to be perfect, but he is telling us that we are not to be people that can be picked apart in the way that we speak, in our honesty, in our lifestyle, or in our behavior. We're to pay attention to ourselves so that we can be above reproach. It is true that every Christian should live that way, but it is absolutely indispensable that the pastors and elders of the church live in a way that is above reproach. A second specific way that Paul says this uh, to Timothy in 1 Timothy, he says, paying attention to yourself is so that we will hold each other accountable. There's a section of Scripture in chapter 5, verses 19 through 21 of 1 Timothy, where Timothy talks about what it looks like to hold elders accountable, uh, both privately and publicly. And the reality is, folks, uh, the churches that I have watched struggle over the years and the churches you have watched struggle, it's because there is an unwillingness on the part of some in the life of the church to submit themselves to a higher authority. And ultimately, that higher authority is Scripture, right? It's Jesus through Scripture. But a lot of times what happens is that because there's an unwillingness to submit to a higher authority, Scripture, uh, people get off kilter. And that can be just as... It can be more damaging if it's a pastor or a church leader than just a regular church member. But here's the reality. If there's not a level of accountability in the life of the church, in the life of leadership of the church, then it's very possible that a pastor can do that as well. I'm ju it's just as possible for me to go astray as it is for you to go astray. So part of the reason that you gentlemen are to pay attention to yourself, and I'm to pay attention to myself, is because we're going to hold one another mutually accountable. When we gather when we ask each other questions. One thing I can assure you is that in the coming months, as they serve in a role of elder, we're going to develop some accountability protocols for them and for me and for Pastor Tad to do the best we can to make sure that all of us remain ever and always above reproach. Paul Tripp puts it this way. He says, in order to continue in ministry, I need more than personal resolve, I need vibrant, loving, courageous, faithful, biblical community. Sometimes what that means is need people who are willing to say, you might be going too fast. You might need to say that differently. You might need to think about your behavior and your attitude. And folks, the only way that, for that to happen is if there's some kind of real accountability and a plurality of elders provides that at least an opportunity. So you pray for us and gentlemen, Pay attention yourself so that we can hold one another accountable. We're to pay attention ourselves so that we can set an example. In this section, chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, that's what Paul talks about to Timothy. He says, your job, Timothy, is to set an example. You're, you are to live a life that is worthy of emulation. You're to set the, the table. You're to model the behavior. You're to walk in a way that you can turn around and say to anybody behind you, hey, you walk in the steps that I walk in. You follow me. As I follow Jesus, you follow me. And the only way that can happen is if we pay attention to what we believe, what we teach, and how we communicate it, but we also pay attention to how we behave and, and how we act. Paul Tripp, again, puts it this way, talking about setting an example. He says, in local church ministry, it is much, much easier to build church stuff than it is to build people. Building facilities, multiplying ministries, and planning a yearly catalog of events are much more immediately satisfying than fulfilling the long-term 
often frustrating and discouraging work of leadership in giving themselves to the gospel work of building a community of disciples of Jesus Christ. Let me say it this way. There are lots of things that I get to do that are tremendously rewarding and fun. And Steve, you've been a deacon here for many years. Marsh, you've been a deacon here for many years. Vince, you've been a deacon, a Gideon, a pastor, and now an elder. You've done all of those roles. There are some things in church life that, man, it leaves you turning around saying, yeah, I'm glad we did that, like the renovation of our sanctuary. It's one of those things, man, I'm so glad we did that. But compared to helping someone walk through a struggle and helping them know what it means to follow Jesus and, and crying with them when they fail and working with them when they're anxious and helping them live a life as a Jesus follower, renovating a sanctuary is far easier. And so our task is to pay attention to ourselves because God hasn't called us to just do the framework. He's not just called us to do the structure. He's not just called us to add ministries. He's not just called us to grow. Folks, he's not just called us to put people in a baptistry and baptize them. He's not just called us to invite them to, to be a part of our church through membership. Although all of those things are wonderful, he's called us to help them grow as followers of Jesus. And the only way we can do that faithfully is if we pay attention ourselves. We're to pay attention to ourselves fourthly so that we can res replicate gospel-believing men. In 2 Timothy 2, 2, Paul tells Timothy, take what you've learned and teach someone else. It's my job. It's my job as your pastor to teach our congregation, both publicly but also individually and privately. It's my job to make sure we, as a body of elders, are faithfully learning what, we, what Scripture teaches, and then we take it and we share it with somebody else. And that's for the short-term, but also for the long-term health of our congregation. Gentlemen, this is, this is one of those nights where, if it were up to me, the church would be packed like it was Wednesday night. The difference is, we're a bunch of men, and we don't have 70 kids on stage, uh, with moms and dads and grandparents here celebrating what their kids are. And both are tremendously important, but hear what, I, hear what I'm saying. This is not just for the moment. This is for what's going to happen in January of next year, in June, in December of next year, and 12 years later, and 20 years later, as we pour the life of Christ into the lives of other men, and the lives of other women in the life of our church. As we replicate and raise up new individuals to serve as deacons, so we raise up new individuals to serve as servants and ministers in the life of the church. As we raise up new elders to serve in the life of the church. That's what this is for. It's for the long-term health of Wilkesboro Baptist Church, not just the short-term health. John Newton put it this way in a poem that he wrote about the burden of a minister, which is truly, I think Tad would agree, I think Al would agree, Vince would agree, um, truly one of the most rewarding things in the entirety of my life is the role of being called as a pastor and a minister. But it's also a challenge. He penned this as a minister's burden. He wrote, What contradictions meet in ministers' employ, it is a bittersweet, a sorrow full of joy. No other post affords a place for equal honor or disgrace. Who can describe the pain 
which faithful preachers feel, constrained to speak in vain to hearts as hard as steel. Or who can tell the pleasures felt when stubborn hearts begin to melt? The Savior's dying love, the soul's amazing worth, their utmost efforts move and draw their bowels forth. They pray and strive, rest apart till Christ be formed in sinners' hearts. Folks, what God has called us to do is to form Jesus in our own hearts first, in the hearts of our congregation. Until that work's done, our work's not done. That's why we're to pay attention to ourselves and to our doctrine. Vince, Marsh, Steve, if you will, gather up here. It doesn't matter which chair you sit in, but I would like you to make your way to the stage. One of the things that takes place at an ordination, or we're calling this a commissioning service, we pray over these men who are stepping into a role that I love you, gentlemen, but you scarcely understand. Uh, Vince, you do a little bit. Uh, there are things that we hear and things that we're responsible for that I, I, I remember when Dr. Mathis told me, he said, there's, there's just something about being a senior pastor you'll never understand until you're a senior pastor. I get it. You know, there's a weight you carry. There's a burden you carry. Tad was talking about that. Uh, that, thank goodness, you as a congregation have helped provide some sharers of that burden. Uh, with that said, we're going to need the power of the Lord and the Spirit of God to help us through the task that's in front of us over the next months, weeks, and even years. And so we want to pray over you. So I'm going to invite every ordained man in the life of the church, deacon, uh, pastor, to come and gather behind Steve and Vince and Marsh. And then uh, I think I could truly say one of my ministry heroes is uh, Al Andrews. I can't tell you the number of funerals Al and I have done together since I've been here at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. His sense of grace and patience and kindness, love for Wilkesboro Baptist Church has been um, tremendously encouraging to me, Al. Al's going to come, and he is going to lead us in a first congregation prayer over Vince, Marsh, and Steve. Then Tad's going to pray, and then I'm going to close this up in a word of prayer. Al, you come lead us. I want to invite each of you to humble yourselves here in the presence of the living God as we make petition, praise, thanksgivings to God the Father. Will you bow and join me as I, and these others as we pray to the Father in heaven. Father God, I pray to you to grant these elders, Steve Melton, Vince Adams, Marshall Lyle, the motivation to continue to develop themselves in your knowledge and in your grace. I pray for these elders to be given wisdom from above and the courage to lead, to teach, 
to protect, to love their church members so that the church members will grow into spiritual maturity. I ask for these elders to experience the guidance and assurance of the Holy Spirit as they carry out their responsibilities as we continue to pray. Father, I'm thankful for an opportunity to share your gifts with this church and these men, and I pray specifically for their families, as this is a new, a new thing for them. They are going to hear stories that they've never heard before. They're going to experience emotions that they've never experienced before, and it's only through your grace and mercy that we can do this together. As their families also see their loved one struggle and maybe wrestle with different things that you give them comfort, you allow their family to sense your presence, be uplifting, be guiding, even if there are past experiences that may have been an issue that I pray that they be put to the cross and forgiven so that we can start fresh and new and guiding. I pray that you allow them to sense your hope, look to you for peace as we all work for your glory. In your son's name. Father, we come to you tonight deeply grateful for the love of a Savior who looked down upon us in our sinfulness and unrighteousness and thought to redeem people who are far from you. We come to you in these moments and we are spiritually bankrupt. We are desperately in need of you and that will never change. And I pray, Lord, that for Steve, Marsh, Vince, Tad, and myself, and for our deacons that are here present, for our church, that we would never lose sight of the fact that it is the grace and mercy of Christ that offers us eternal life, not our own goodness and not our own righteousness. Lord Jesus, you are the true shepherd. You are the chief shepherd. We are a part of your church. Servants, yes. Leaders, yes. Shepherds, yes. But under your authority, under your commission. So, Heavenly Father, by your grace, we commission Steve and Marsh and Vince to serve in this role of elder at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. Lord, we pray for um, their families as Tad is lifted up. We pray for Sandra. We pray for Miss Pat. We pray for Jean. Thank you for their support of their husbands in these roles. Heavenly Father, we pray for your protection upon them and upon their families. Tad so wonderfully reminded us how the enemy wants to destroy. And one of the primary ways he tries to destroy your church is through the leaders of your church. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would put a spiritual armor around us 
the armor discussed in Ephesians chapter 6. You fill us with your spirit in a way, Heavenly Father, that would cause us to experience your protection and your grace. Pray that for Steve and for Marsh and for Vince and for Tad and for myself, that we would not be casualties of an enemy that wants to destroy, but Heavenly Father, we would be um, trophies of your grace to our congregation and to our community. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you lead us in the coming year. You know the things that are going to come to us that we're not expecting. You know the ministry that we're going to have to do that's going to be unique and interesting. We pray, Lord, for wisdom in the decisions ahead. Help us to submit to your authority through Scripture, trust you, and follow you. Lord, I pray that through us, as we seek your direction, that you would help us to continue to lead Wilkesboro Baptist Church in a way that would bring you glory and honor. Lord, I'm so thankful for these men that are gathered around Steve and Marsh and Vince, these deacons that we have served with and will continue to serve with. I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we work with our new diaconate leaders, Lee Bentley, this upcoming year as deacon chair, and Bobby Parsons as vice chair, uh, and Keith as secretary, and the other deacon leaders that will be responsible for committees. Father, this is unique in a transition year to figure out what we're doing and who's responsible for what. I pray for wisdom, for grace, for patience, for understanding, for interaction as we try to navigate whose role is what and how to best figure those things out. I'm grateful, Lord, for a church that loves you and that wants your word and wants your authority to rule in our midst. I pray, Heavenly Father, that that would continue to take place. Representatively tonight as we pray for it, but through the next year as we Seek your direction and seek your guidance. Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege of serving you. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would lead us as we lead others to follow you. Bless that endeavor, for it is your calling on our lives in Christ's name. Amen.